Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, the price of oil has reached 50 bucks a barrel, which is, I guess, something that we've been looking forward to uh, for a long period of time, at least those in the business community. And how significant how significant is it that we have hit this benchmark? First time since October, is this a sign that we're on an economic rebound in Canada? Or does this just mean higher fuel prices for us all? Michael Veal is with us, professor with the Department of Economics at McMaster University and is on the line with us now. Hi, Michael. How are you today? Just fine. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate uh, this. Uh, What does this mean for Canada and the average Canadian that we've hit this milestone or this threshold? Well, overall for Canada, it's good news because Canada is a net exporter of oil. We sell more oil to the rest of the world than we buy from the rest of the world, so it's good that the price is up a bit. Uh, but within Canada, of course, there are differences. It's better news in Alberta or in Newfoundland and Labrador than it is in Ontario because we don't produce any oil. We're just consumers. And as you pointed out, it'll mean somewhat higher gasoline prices for us. Uh, why is it up? Why is it up at this point? Well, nobody really knows. Uh, the story for some time has been that there was a Russian-Saudi Arabian deal I was pretty skeptical about that. I thought that maybe the factor behind the rise over the last few months was the uh, increased demand from China. Uh, But what the papers are saying today is that it's the shortage of oil caused by less production from Alberta and the the wildfires. Do you really think uh, what happened in Fort McMurray can have that much of an impact worldwide? No, I don't, actually. I I said that was reported, but I am skeptical. Uh, it's not that big a fraction of, of world production, and it was largely oil that's more expensive than $50 a barrel to produce because the, the oil sands oil is very expensive to produce. So a lot of that they were cutting back already. Um, so it was true they were keeping their production going, but they weren't really uh, going at full blast, partly because the oil price was not sufficient uh, to make that as profitable as, as it has been in the past. What about outages in Nigeria or Venezuela? Yeah, there is the story from Nigeria. Uh, ironically, that is caused by the fact oil prices were low. Uh, and Nigerian economy is so dependent on oil that when the oil price became low, uh, it led to lots of social unrest and uh, difficulties with maintaining the social programs that uh, Nigerians had come to expect. And this led to problems there that in turn has seemed to have turned off a little bit of oil from uh, Nigeria. On the other hand, uh, in the Middle East, the story seemed to be mostly positive in terms of the production of oil, and that's one of the reasons it's, it may be that this $50 threshold will not be sustained. Uh, a while ago, it wasn't that long ago, when uh, oil producers were, were, were all complaining that there was just uh, too much on the market, that everything was flooded, and they were trying to get people to stop production. Uh, where does that leave that discussion? Well, the price went down to $30, and that did take some people out, some of the shale, shale oil people. Uh, because that's an expensive method of production. And as I said, the oil sands uh, production was cut back and there was uh, no prospect of new investment in that part. Uh, also, some of the deep sea drilling is another very expensive way to get oil and, and there were no new deep, so, deep sea operations. So all these things get cut off at $30 a barrel oil. Uh, $50 a barrel oil, some of them come back. Uh, but uh, probably what's really going on is there's still a lot of oil out there but at least the uh, people speculating in this market are beginning to think maybe the oversupply isn't quite where it was a, a month or so ago. So what happened to all those stockpiles that we heard so much about? Is that already leveled out? 
Well, some of that got consumed. As I said, I think the key thing to understand is, uh, is there renewed increased demand from China? Because that was what was driving the big oil price in the first place. And I don't think we really know. Uh, the Chinese economy is a, is a mystery. Uh, we're not very confident of the aggregate statistics we get out of China. Uh, we don't know what sort of growth rate they're looking at. And if that's where this demand is coming from, then that will, of course, get this oil price higher. Um, but I'm skeptical. I think it's one of these situations, as is so often in the case in the oil market, in which there's no really good information because all the players have the incentive to conceal. The biggest single driver is what the Saudi Arabians are prepared to sell out, the Saudi Arabians and the, and the Emirates in the, in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make the decision, uh, and part of that has to do with the tacit understandings they may have with uh, Russians, with other parties, and uh, the Chinese economy isn't exactly like our economy, too. There's, there's big decision-makers there, and they have an important role to play as well. Uh, now that prices are starting to creep up, are we going to see some of those producers that were inched out getting back in? And then, therefore, will there be a flood of GAN? Well, it, it will probably balance out. Um, I think it may well be that we figure out that the, the big surge in oil prices was only temporary while... Um, um, more oil came to market, and now that oil is there. It's going to drive the price down and, and keep it in this range. Um, as you know, I've said before, uh, the, the price that's today is actually the best forecast of what the price is going to be tomorrow and the next day. It may go higher, it may go lower, but right now that $50 a barrel price reflects an even division of opinion. Basically, half the market thinks the price is going to go up, and the other half thinks it's going to go down. Uh, what, is there a psychological effect of $50 of it hitting this threshold? Is, there, is that ever the case? You know, it's, again, something that I read in the newspapers. Uh, it's been all around 50 today. It poked its uh, head above 50, and now it's a little bit below 50. I'm not sure. You know, the, the theory is, is that there's a bunch of people out there who say, um, I'll do this as soon as it hits 50, and that they're all doing that now. Hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean these are people who are doing things that are going to increase supply or people who are going to do, um, um, you know, reduce demand. And so we really don't know what happens at $50 uh, and how the psychology plays out. I think mostly those things are probably overrated. Uh, after all, that's 50 U.S. dollars per barrel. It's actually not the relevant price if you're uh, working in Alberta oil sand facility, but is relevant to you is the price in Canadian dollars. Hmm. And that price has been going up for uh, some time because the Canadian dollar depreciated. Uh, there you go. Talk about the dollar and how this will affect that. Normally when oil prices go up, the value of the dollar goes up. Can we see that happening? Especially, and, and how does that affect uh, uh, provinces like Ontario who are now doing quite well? Or certainly doing better? Yeah, we saw a little bit of that um, in, in today's market that the Canadian dollar did appreciate a little bit. Uh, I think part of that was also due to the Bank of Canada announcement. I think there was a, a little bit of a fear that maybe the, the Bank of Canada would lower interest rates. I don't think it was a very big fear, but when that was off the table and the Bank of Canada held st- steady, that also probably helped the dollar a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's still, even though $50 is this psychological target, the actual increase in the oil prices in the last couple of days isn't really that large. It's only a couple of dollars. And so it's probably not going to have that big effect on the Canadian dollar, at least for, for now. Uh, the, uh, Stephen Polos keeps the, the, the bank rate steady, doesn't increase it. No surprise there, really, is there? I wasn't surprised at all. I think, the, I think we'll be surprised when it moves, but it's, uh, it's, not, 
my best guess is it's not going to move for a while. We remember it was about a year ago or so that uh, America, the U.S., raised their rate. Uh, where is that leaving them at this point? Well, I think uh, there's a lot of speculation about what's going to happen. I, I think that the uh, people who believe that the United States is not going to change their interest rates again uh, are, for a while, are the people who are starting to get the upper hand of the market. Uh, there was some feeling that maybe there would be higher interest rates around now. Uh, some people feel that as they're going into the election cycle, the U.S. Federal Reserve System will be very cautious about any changes. And I'm also a little skeptical about some of the positive news coming out on the U.S. economy. I, I think that maybe because there has been such negative news for a while, people are perhaps overreacting to this uh, recent positive news. I think the U.S. economy is moving back towards the right track. I think all the data are consistent with that. But I'm not sure that it's a, a sure thing, slam dunk, enough that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates. It certainly seems that one week we hear one, in, uh, you know, one piece of information. Uh, a couple of days later, we, we hear something completely different. Uh, it wasn't that long ago everyone was worried Canada was heading back into a recession. Where has that discussion gone? Well, I think everybody concedes now that we are for just this coming or this current quarter, mm-hmm. uh, and that's largely because Fort McMurray is really important to the Canadian economy. And uh, you know, one of the consequences, by by no means in this this very difficult time, the most serious one, but one of the consequences is they're not uh, pumping as much oil, and that reduces Canadian Canada's GDP a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I think everybody believes that that's when that's over, they're going to go back on stream uh, to a level that will put us back on a uh, resumed growth path that'll be reasonable for us. Uh, I don't think we're looking at a huge um, boost in demand or anything like that, but I think we'll go back on that relatively steady growth path that we were on um, even last quarter. How long before uh, Fort McMurray is not considered as a liability anymore? At what point do we look at Fort McMurray and say that's not affecting the economy anymore? Well, I'm assuming that they're, they're going to be on stream for third quarter, uh, and, and then I think we'll not be worrying about that. Uh, there will, of course, be the, the real costs of, of producing the things that need to make Fort McMurray better again. Um, and some people will point out that that'll actually boost our GDP, right. because we'll have to do these things, and you know, we should, uh, both um, from the federal perspective and the provincial perspective, uh, money will be spent, and that, and that should be spent. I think, however, it's one of those cases where the GDP figure is a, is a bit misleading. Everybody talks about GDP growth, oh, that's a great thing. Uh, but really, when what's happening is that you're building houses that got burnt down, um, it's not really the kind of growth that contributes to the long-run welfare of the economy. It's something that has to be done. Uh, but by no means, just because that shows up on, on the GDP growth figures as a bigger number, does that it doesn't mean that we're better off. Uh, does Fort McMurray and the fire change anyone's perspective of the industry? Does it help? Does it hurt? Will, will people look back and go, yeah, everything changed after that fire? Uh, my guess is no. Uh, my guess is that we'll, we will resume uh, and, and things will go back pretty much normal there. It's just, of course, a period of time. People have to go back there. People have to get back into their lives. And as they do that, they'll start... Uh, being being involved in in the economic part of their lives, just like every other part of their lives, and we who read the data will see that coming through on the data. It's by no means the most important thing that's going on, uh, but in terms of 
taxes will start to get paid and money will start to flow. And I think I think we'll just resume. I think that's the most likely. How does this affect the price of gasoline as we move into the tourism season in the summer? Uh, we've seen gra- gas prices creep up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, how do we explain that? And, and what do you see in, in the foreseeable future in the next couple of months? Well, I think there was a little local effect. I think it could be exaggerated, but it had to do with uh, Fort McMurray. Yeah. And I think also just the, the latest trend was the Canadian dollar was softening a bit. Um, and that gets reflected a bit in gasoline prices as well. Uh, I think you know, probably if you had to bet one way or the other, there will be a little bit more increase in gasoline prices, but I don't think this itself suggests that that will be very large. Uh, is this something that after 24 hours we won't be talking about anymore, or will this? do you foresee this continuing to climb at a steady rate, or as you mentioned earlier, probably just once things even out, it will drop back down again, below 50? Well, as you know, I always like to say that you know if I could forecast oil prices, yeah. I'd make a ton of money, uh, but I can't. I think, again, the market is at $50 is basically saying half the people think it should go up and half the people think it's going to go down. Uh, if you really forced me to guess, if I had to guess, I think it's more likely to go down a little bit, uh, but not plummet. Uh, but that would be my guess, but I'm not investing very much on that guess, so I don't think I'd uh, pay that much attention to it. Uh, as we come into a U.S. election in the fall, how does that, how does that affect the economy? Or does well, it? Well, historically, this is a pretty well-studied phenomenon, and historically what's happened is that that's been... Uh, news, good news, if you like, immediate growth, that uh, the governments managed to, to, to spend a little bit of money to try to promote their own election processes. It's not just, of course, at the federal level. There's elections at all the state levels and everything. And those governments managed to get the roads paved and things like that, and that boosts the economy a little bit. And also, historically, the Federal Reserve appears to have been a little bit more generous in terms of monetary policy during those periods, uh, not worrying so much about inflation and perhaps uh, boosting growth a little bit uh, for the short run. And so that's the history of it. Uh, I do not know, of course, whether that particular bit of history will be repeated. I think the markets are anticipating some of it, though. So I think that's likely to go. And of course, the U.S. economy is going much better now. It's, it's largely one of these things that it was going so poorly for so long. Uh, that now as it starts to come back, uh, people are saying, oh, yeah, there's, there's new encouragement out there. They're beginning to, to feel it. And I think there are signs of that. But as I think you were pointing out earlier, those signs are very mixed, and there are some negative figures mixed in with the positive ones. And I do wonder whether people are exaggerating um, how much good news there is from the U.S. just yet. Uh, of course, tr- uh, G7 going on, Trudeau speaking to leaders and saying that uh, it, w- this is the time to invest, this is a time to, to, to spend money on our economy, on our countries, uh, as opposed to the last government, which was preaching restraint. How is that, how is that viewed across the world? Well, the interesting thing is, is that if you look at the 2008 crisis, uh, Whatever the image of Mr. Harper and the Conservatives was, Canada was actually a leader mm-hmm. in moving towards what other people, not the Conservatives probably, would have called uh, Keynesian policy, that is, policy in which they deliberately spent money at the federal government uh, level in Canada. It was called the Economic Action Plan, yep. and they ran a very large deficit, and the they were part of a worldwide syndicate of a few other countries that tried to do that as a way to get the, the world out of the, the global economic crisis. 
And I thought that was appropriate at the time, and I think that it was done appropriately. Uh, now the question is, is that what sort of economic funk are we really in? It's, it seems to be a different one. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't seem to have the, the clear cause that the, the crisis of 2008 had, or at least the clear course of events. Uh, it does appear to have to do with something that's going on in uh, Europe, in that uh, there's this big split with Germany doing so well, and basically all the other countries, I guess not counting the United Kingdom, all the other countries doing really very poorly. Uh, so, you know, really, should this be something that Canada is promoting in terms of an international agenda? Uh, I would probably argue no. I would, however, say that I think that the Canadian position in terms of how much money we're borrowing and everything uh, has also been somewhat exaggerated. Uh, my own guess is that the current numbers aren't going to show up to be near the $30 billion deficit that people are, are mm. proposing. And, you know, Canadian economy is pretty big. Uh, even had there been no policy at all, we would have probably been looking at a 10 to $15 billion deficit. So the Liberals have probably only added maybe at most $10 billion to that, which is a, you know, a really big number in terms of cash, but in terms of the size of the economy is you know, 0.1%, much less than 0.1%, actually. What's Germany's secret? Uh, especially, well, especially in a region, as you said, where the wealth isn't being shared necessarily. Uh, Germany, in effect has been able to run a very, very loose monetary policy uh, without the usual uh, consequences. And the reason for that is that they share the same euro that these other countries do. And so that's kept the euro very low value because the countries right. like Greece and Italy, uh, Spain and others that have used the euro, that has tended, all those the forces within those countries have tended to kept the value of the euro low. Um, and Germany has therefore, in some sense, profited by having... Taking advantage low, of it, yeah. Very low euro. But what the mystery is, is why it hasn't caused more inflation in Germany. Um, and, and I think that's, that's hard to understand fully, uh, but it has meant that the German economy has been very, very competitive on worldwide markets, um, and they're basically uh, selling stuff to everybody uh, very, very effectively, and that's, that's their secret. Uh, they do also, I think, have... a, a a very good tradition of public finance in, in Germany. In other words, they, uh, they run their tax systems effectively, they, they build good roads, they manage uh, their government very well. Um, I think we all should aspire to that. Uh, if you, and I know you don't like predicting, but if you were to uh, predict the summer months uh, from now, say, through to Labor Day, are, are we in for a calm economic time uh, or, or a turbulent economic time? Slow growth, steady as she goes, same as what we've been experiencing forever. Can we now call this the norm? Yeah, I think our problem is is that we will, it will probably be slow and steady, and that, unfortunately, uh, a lot of our plans, both at government levels and maybe even at personal levels, are, are used to higher levels of growth. Um, and so part of it is, you know, they, this, this phrase, the new normal, uh, that everyone's got to get used to, that all our problems won't be solved by a, a rapidly growing economy, and that that means we have to make probably harder choices than we used to in the past. I still think that in terms of the federal government, I'm not particularly worried about the size of the deficit now, uh, if there, in fact, is over the next few years a program that's going to get that deficit down. Uh, for those of us in the province of Ontario, I think we've got to worry. Uh, the province of Ontario fi finances are, are not great, and if everything goes just according to plan, it might turn out well. 
but there's just no margin for error there. And so, mm. sure, if we have a, have a nice, uneventful summer, things are okay. But uh, if we do get either that recession or we get something that spikes interest rates, uh, unfortunately, Ontario, I don't believe, is well prepared. Even when we talk, and we've talked about spiking interest rates, Michael, for, for the last, well, since 2008, will we see that or will we see, can you foresee anything that will will see a, a drastic increase or will it just be slow and steady, a quarter point here, a quarter point there? I think it's, I think that's the most likely, uh, what you, this the yeah. slow and steady all across. But, you know, um, every once in a while, something really drastic happens. Yeah. And if you, we had been having this interview in 2007, I would have been saying something like, well, I think there's some problems out there, but as far as I can see, nothing's going to dramatically happen. Yeah. And then in a relatively short period, the world fell apart economically. Mm. Um, and so we're always going to have to worry about that prospect. And I think that's where I worry about governments. I think the, the federal government of Canada is in actually pretty solid position, I think, Things have been handled prudently there, and not just even for the last five or ten years, but actually for, for quite a long period. Uh, federal government, since maybe around 1995, has been on a long-term program uh, that has improved the federal government finances. But at the provincial level, uh, it has not gone that way for us. And I, I do think that's, in our local area, that's one of the dangers dangers that we have to worry about. Michael Veal has been with us, professor with the Department of Economics McMaster University. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome.